Welcome back to another edition of the Lad from Matthew Harden podcast. I'm your host, Shane Holcomb. The announcement all Chelsea fans have been waiting for in Romelu Lukaku has now been confirmed by the club. Seven summers have passed now since the Belgian first part of the bridge, and he has returned in hopes of riding a grand conclusion to an illustrious career. I'm excited today to welcome Nima Ruzari, a journalist who covers all things Inter Milan and the Serie A, onto the podcast. Nima, it's great to be talking to you today. How's everything going, man? I'm good. It's good to be with you, Shane. It's, it's, it's good to be with you. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, no worries. And I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Thanks for getting back to me on, on my invitation. And I want to start right with the big man, Romo Lukaku, because throughout the summer, it seems like, especially in his case and in, in his transfer saga, there was a lot of twists and turns, right? Especially with the interruption of the Euros and, and his time with the Belgium national team and, and them advancing pretty far in the international tournament. He tried to focus on his Belgium team and not really talk about his, his club future. So take me back to, I guess, the beginning of the summer where he comes out in the Belgian press conference and talks about how he's a desire to stay at Inter to defend the Scudetto that they won last summer. So what are your thoughts on how this transfer saga has kind of developed over the span of these past couple of months after the year was finished for, for the Belgium national team? Because it really has been a summer full of twists and turns for Lukaku. And well, I, I think there's a, it's a lot of things going on. I mean, people seem to think that a lot of Inter fans are disappointed saying, well, he lied and when he said he wanted to stay and whatnot. I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think he was being very honest about it. I think he wanted to stay. Um, but when Chelsea came calling, he kind of started thinking, going, okay, well, I'm 28 years old. Um, I this, 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 this is my last big transfer. This is my last big chance to win the Champions League. Uh, I have unfinished business in England. I have unfinished businesses at Chelsea. Um, it, it's And also he looked at Inter and said, look, they've got Antonio Conte left, Ashraf Hakimi left, Suning are, you know, however, you know, you can put as much lipstick you want on a pig, but it's still going to be a pig. And that's, you know, no matter how you cut it, Suning are you know cutting their losses with inter they're not investing anymore they needed to they can't they took out a crazy loan that they can't afford to pay um you know given the geopolitical reality that china is in uh they you know they they will they won't invest in uh in non-essential businesses such as football which is considered luxury and and that, that's where we are. And so basically, Inter have to be sustainable and run by you know run on, run on its own. Um, and and they took out a loan uh, for two hundred and seventy five to three hundred million euros from Oak Tree uh, using their using their ownership of Inter as collateral to pay you know as safety for that loan. And that needs to be repaid in three years. And it's you know 11 percent interest. That's a lot of money. Um, and that's pretty much what this is. So he looks at it and goes, well. You know, uh, Chelsea hadn't been calling. Man City were there. He didn't want to join them. Um, and when Chelsea came and he looked at the owners and they're like, well, we're, we will accept it for 115, 120 million euros. He goes, well, okay, I'm out of here. You know, I, I, you know he, he, I understand that. I understand that he left. It's not about money. It's about ambition and Inter, Inter's ambition. Inter went from a club that actually could possibly challenge for the Champions League to a club to not even being close to challenging to, to, to win the Champions League. With Antonio Conte, the way that squad was built, with the players he had last season, if they had built upon that, bringing someone like Rodrigo de Paul, kept the squad together, maybe brought in another backup, good backup striker. And, um, and, and you know, on the left wing, they, you know, if they brought in Kostic or, or whoever instead of Perisic, 
that's a team that could have challenged for the semi-final or final of the Champions League if all the chips fell, fell, fell in place because Antonio Conte built a machine. He built an absolutely incredible machine. Um, and he, you know, so, so I think, I think things developed um, into him going, okay, this is, this is something I can't pass up on because Chelsea are the reigning champions of Europe. They have a very young squad. It's not a squad like that. The makeup of the Chelsea squad is not what it was last time Chelsea won the Champions League. Um, that was a very aging squad. That was the last chance, you know, last night with a gang kind of chance with the Drogba's and Lampard's and Terry's. This isn't that. This is a very young squad. This is a squad that can, I can go to dominate in, in England and, and in Europe for years. And he sees that he's got a chance to do that. He's got three, four years at Chelsea where he can actually do that. So, you know, starting with, you know, I think he wants to win the Premier League. He wants to win the FA Cup. He wants to win everything in England. He, uh, and he wants to win the Champions League. And, and who can, uh, no one can, you know, I, I don't think anyone can really say, take that away from him. He's not 22, 23 anymore. He's 28. Um, and this, these are his prime years. And he needs to be someplace where, you know, because Chelsea were really lacking a number nine. And now they have that. They have one of the best in the world. And like you reported at the beginning of August, Nima, it was down to really where did Romu have a better chance of, of success, right? And winning those trophies that he hadn't won before, like the Champions League, like the Premier League, like the FA Cup. But transitioning into Inter Milan as a club, because I really want to hit on this aspect of things because you follow them so closely and report on them really well. Going back to last season, right? Inter Milan haven't won a title in 11 years before they won the Scudetto last season. So how together did Antonio Conte, this combination of talent like you mentioned before with Romelu Lukaku, what was the storyline throughout the whole last season without the fans, the San Siro, return to domestic glory after 11 years without the Scudetto? Well, look, when Romelu Lukaku came to Inter two years ago, he was a, his self-confidence was completely shot. But he came to a, to, a, to a club and a manager who had been wanting to work with this guy for years, who absolutely loved him. And I think love is not a strong enough word. He, those two love each other. Uh, and they are like siblings. Um, and Antonio Conte told him that upon arriving, that when you learn to play with your back against the goal, you will be the best striker in the world. And so basically throughout preseason and every training session, he tattooed Andrea Ranocchia to his back and told him, and, 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 and he had to learn how to handle playing against defenders who, you know, are always on him, uh, for, you know, on his feet, on, on trying to, you know, destabilize him, both physically and mentally. And, and he, he learned how to handle that. And, and then they changed how he ate. They changed how he trained. They changed, you know, they taught him and he himself says that, you know, I learned a professionalism under Antonio Conte that I've never, you know, that I didn't have. And, and he wants to build on that. And that's why, you know, this preseason, I mean, wow, the way he's kept himself in shape, even though he was, you know, he, he, he got an extra holiday. He was working out. He was training. He, he, he was in peak condition when he came to Inter, something he's never really been at before. But that's all Conte and him together um you know Conte taught him that and and that's you know the fruits of that we saw last season uh when it really worked out when it worked perfectly especially after February when when Conte understood that if he lowered the defensive line about four or five meters if he brought in reintegrated Eriksen and Perisic into the squad um yeah if they brought him into the squad 
uh, and and taught them how to play um, in that uh, in his three five two, which transitioned into a four two four in defend, in attack from a three five two in defense. It was is really fantastic to see. Um, it was it was genuinely amazing uh, to see that transition because because anyone who knows Antonio Conte will know that he's always wanted to play with a four two four when attacking. Uh, he he tried he had to change to three five two when he moved to Juve. He didn't really have the players to play that four two four. But at Inter he had a midfield trio and two wingers in Perisic and Hakimi that allowed him to play his calcio verticale, his vertical football when when you transition. And the main focal point in that is Romelu Lukaku. The very first ball from defense or Brozovic, whoever it is, goes to Lukaku, who sucks the ball to himself, then plays off of Lautaro, who plays out to, to, to the wing, whether it's left or the right. That's basically how it was. And it was sawing yourself um, through, you know, the, it was really vertical sawing from left to right, from right to left. That's how Inter played. And, it was, and, and Lukaku was imperative, uh, part of that. Um, and it was very, you know, fascinating to see that development. And he really did develop into, in these two years into one of the best number nines in the world. Great points you make about how Conte transitioned almost his tactical principles into always wanting to play that 44 and how Inter provided a great option with the players in the squad that they had. It was the perfect football in, in terms that it was incredibly defensively solid because they mm-hmm. pressed really high up the pitch as well. Without, you know, without the ball, they played a 3-5-2 with high press. But, they, but he found the balance in that press by moving the defensive line a little bit further down because Skriniar and uh, Defray aren't exactly the fastest defenders in the world in terms of lateral movement. And they struggled with that. But when, they were, when, he, when he kind of moved the balance down just a couple of meters, it, everything just fell into place. Um, and, and Inter won uh, the league barely conceding, despite having not even a goalkeeper who was based performance-wise, not even top seven, top eight. Uh, he was a liability, Handanovic, for most of the season. Um, and they still did barely concede it. Um, and they they were so solid defensively. Um, I mean, the midfield with Eriksen, Brozovic and Barella was fantastic. That was also key. You had three midfielders who all three ran like hell. They outran. They outfought and they outthought their opponents, the midfield. You had midfielders who all three of them have a good shot on them. They could score goals from distance. They could all create. They could all um, they could all you know tackle and win one balls. And they ran. They ran. Nobody outruns uh, outran Barella and Brozovic. So that's that's what that was. Uh, and you can understand why he wanted Rodrigo de Paul, because that was the only thing that was missing. A player that could move with the ball between the lines and link up and create an extra dimension in attack, which is needed in Europe. Um, so no, it was um, it was it was it was a fantastic it was a fantastic team. And that's why I say that it was a team that could have gone on to win the Champions League. But you know, it is what it is. Conte's gone, Lukaku's gone, Hakimi are gone. Uh, for Inter, it's about finishing top four in the Serie A, uh, and hopefully, as soon as possible, find a new owner in in, in away from, from far away from Suning because they won't be able. I mean, they're in, you know the Zhang family are the ones who in, who wanted to create a world sports brand, and they're um, the, the Zhang family are losing control of Suning more and more. Um, the company that owns Inter and the the new owners or the new people coming in are essentially the Chinese government and they want their money back I and mean, that's taxpayer money you know they're not interested in 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 luxury items like football 
they you know they, they're using tax-free payer money to keep suning afloat the suning holding suning group which is you know the holding company it's a fortune 500 company it can't go down it would it would really hurt the chinese economy and the, so for them football is is not relevant um so that's why they're um, yeah so so that's you know that's why sooning will have to you know as soon as a new buy, as soon as a new owner comes in and a buyer comes in the, then inter fans can start dreaming again of a of a good future for cuz i want to talk about your time covering just all of football in in your time in journalism wise a little bit later in in the episode i want to talk about the short term future for the club before i move away from from inter milan because they just appointed a new manager. Uh, they've been in preseason. The Serie A starts next week. Um, so, what are the realistic possibilities or, or expectations that that Inter Milan fans should have coming into the season, um, replacing some very good players? But they brought in some pretty good players to replace the players who left. So, what can Inter fans expect from this team this year going forward under Inzaghi? I think a top four position in the Serie A can be expected. Um, I think you still have the core left to a certain degree. What is missing is is the attack. I mean, 37 goals, 21 assists have disappeared in Hakimi and Lukaku. That needs to be replaced. Um, We know that Simone Inzaghi, I I penned a column in 2017 for Calcio Mercato English, the now defunct site, which was called, which I named why Simone Inzaghi is the next Italian super coach after Antonio Conte. And I really believe that, that he is. Uh, because I think, you know, he's not a tactical genius like Antonio Conte, but you don't need to be a tactical genius to be a great coach, to be a super coach. Uh, you need to be able to get the best out of your players. You need to be able to adapt uh, and read games. You need to be able to to uh, improve all your players, whether they're older or younger. And, and that's something Simone Inzaghi has always done. And, and he's much more direct and much more horizontal than he than Conte's vertical. He's not a, he won't, he won't reinvent football, but uh, like Conte could or, or probably will or can and has uh, with what he did at Juventus and Inter uh, in introducing plays that are that just never been seen in the game before. Um, but Simone Inzaghi knows, I think, you know, he's a hungry coach. He's a young coach. He's building his career. Um, and I think he's, he, you know, I've wanted him to replace uh, Antonio Conte if uh, Cholo Simone was not available and he's not available because he, I don't think he'll ever leave Atletico Madrid or if he does, He'll leave Atletico Madrid after he's won the Champions League with them. Then he's basically done everything he can there uh, and won every title available at club level. Um, so, that I mean, he was the best choice in terms of a coach. And he is a great coach. I really believe in him. And I think we've seen this preseason, the, the movements. You'll see much more movement. You'll see much more goals from midfield. Inter will play a 3-5-1-1. Um, that's what he does. He he overloads spaces. Uh, Inter will play much more direct in terms of uh, much more horizontally direct and and link up between themselves that way. And uh, it'll be it'll be different from from Antonio Conte. But I think Inter fans can expect a top two. I mean I'm I mean I don't like to predict seasons before the transfer window closes. But as things stand today, I think Inter are good enough to finish top two, even win it. Absolutely, but it will take. It won't. It doesn't. It, there's not much room for uh, error uh, this season if you're going to win the title. Um, so they will have to hit the hit the hit the ground running. They will have to 
they will have to, um, you know, when they have the difficult moments, they will have, they need someone to come clutch. And I think that's where Lukaku was um, imperative. When Inter were struggling, he came up clutch. And they need to find that guy. I don't think Edin Dzeko is that guy. Uh, Edin Lautaro Martinez will have to be that guy. Will he be able to shoulder it? Remains to be seen. Quick question before we move on. What do you think Antonio Conte's next step is as a manager? And, and where do you think his future lies? I think Antonio Conte's greatest strength is to re to wake up and re you know reinvigor fallen giants. And looking at that, there is no other club than Arsenal for him. I don't think I understand that he doesn't like to constantly leave after two three years when he starts building something. But I think at Arsenal, given that club's history and given how it is, I think the the, everything is there for him to stay for five years, even if he were to take over. If they were to appoint him after Arteta, he's you know he he's difficult to work with. He's demanding, but if they give him a, a, a mandate to build over three to five years, and not give put that much pressure uh, on him immediately winning titles, which I don't think they can, and given his professionalism, his preparation, and the fact that that kind of intensity football in the Premier League is already how he likes to play anyway. Um, I think it's perfect. I think Arsenal would be insane not to, not to appoint him. I think he's ideal for them. Uh, and I, and, and to be honest, the most important thing that he needs is a number nine, a big number nine uh, and, and, uh, uh, and, and central defenders who can, who can, uh, who, who know how to, how, how to interpret the back three. Uh, he can get, uh, when it comes to wing backs, he made Victor Moses look like world world beater for Chelsea. He made Ashley, he re, you know he re, he revived um, uh, Ashley Young's career at Inter. Jacquerini uh, at Juve. Um, you know I could go on and on. When it comes to like wing backs, he knows exactly Darmian. I mean, he makes these players that are rather mediocre look like world beaters when they listen to what he says, uh, and they do. They all do. He knows his ability to build a dressing room is 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 is, is unbelievable. Uh, even though at Chelsea he struggled with Diego Costa because he, for whatever reason, they fell out together. But other than that, his ability to build a dressing room and and to build a group is is, is second to none. He did that at Inter, and he did it in incredibly difficult circumstances when, in the middle of a pandemic, ownership's uh, future at the club um, in question. It wasn't easy. It was really difficult, and um, yeah. No, it was, it was, it was, it was, he, he really, this was his miracle. In my opinion, what he did at Inter the second year, especially for February 2021 onwards, was that was the greatest achievement he's ever, that's the greatest thing he's ever done in his career. It's a great point you make there. And I think Arsenal as a club right now, their first step to be coming on that path to, to greatness, back to greatness, is firing Mikel Arteta. And I think that a guy like Antonio Conte for them, like you mentioned, you know, would be, a perfect fit. And I think that he could help revive that club. What are your thoughts on that? I think the best thing that they could do is to let Arteta's contract run out this year. Cause I think okay. well, from what I understand, his contract expires next year. No need to sack him. And the season's yeah. already started. And I think Conte needs a year, year off to, to rest from, from the hell that, you know, it was a very difficult year for him. I think that it was incredibly difficult and he gave everything he had. I mean, you, can criticize him all you want, but you cannot say that this guy doesn't give 110% no matter where he is. Uh, I think for him to go to to go to Chelsea, uh, sorry, to Arsenal next summer, 
get rid of Arteta, and and for their sake, I hope they're not in Europe again, because there he um, Antonio Conte is the best manager in the world when he has one week to prepare for games. No one comes near him, and if he has three months, and next summer, remember the World Cup is played in the middle of the season. If he has three months to prepare, and and they buy the players that he wants, um, and I think a number nine will be the you know a goalkeeper and a number nine will be the main thing that they need to get. Um, and also midfield. Uh, I think when it comes to wingbacks, I'm not worried. He can get any, any wingback they have to outperform there. Um, again, Victor Moses looked world-class. Uh, Giaccherini, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Candreva, Darmian. I mean, he, he can work with mediocre players at wingback as long as they follow him his, his instructions. But the number nine role, his big number nine, uh, the Lukaku role, that's what they need to fill at Arsenal. Uh, and they, you know, does he, will he, because I think he wants to play similarly to how Chelsea play, but also a mix between how Inter played. Uh, and I think for them, it's about getting into the top four and, and, and building some stability uh, and then building on from that. And I think if they only had one game a week to play in the Premier League, Antonio Conte has three months to prepare and a transfer window on that, uh, watch out for Arsenal. So moving away now from Inter Milan and specifically Antonio Conte, I want to talk about this past summer because, of course, Italy won the European Championship at Wembley Stadium. And as a team coming back from that 2018 horrific campaign where they couldn't make the World Cup, and Mancini has come in these past couple of years. I know you wrote about, a lot about him. Everyone's a huge fan of him. And he's doing so many things right for the national team right now. And they win the Euros, and throughout the tournament, I think even game by game, they improved game by game. Um, and Mancini was the perfect complement to the squad that they had. So we can talk a little bit about covering Italy during the Euros and seeing how they developed to, to eventually be in England in the final uh, during the penalty shootout. Well, I mean, if you, I mean, I've watched Italy ever since Mancini took over, and it's not for me. This was this. This is how Italy play. They play a position ba- possession-based football, um, dominate possession, especially in midfield. Um, and the 4-3-3 is how he's played consistently since the first day he took over. Well, you know, everything in life, uh, not everything, but most important thing in life, not just football, is timing. The timing of Mancini taking over with this, uh, with this particular generation of Italian football players was perfect. It was the perfect timing. And there's still room to develop. Um, they this team does not have a number nine. Every other position they're stacked. They just don't have a number nine. But you saw towards the end of the Euros, he's played with a false nine. Nicolo Zaniolo would be ideal. If you play a three-man up front with Federico Chiesa and Insigne and Zaniolo, with that midfield behind them, they will they can destroy anyone. They can hurt and destroy anyone. Um, that that's where I think they're going to go headed. That's where, that's where I think they're headed because of the lack of the number nine that they have, that Italy has. Um, and it's not just Italy, it's generally in the world. You can count the number of good number nines on one hand pretty much. It's it's Benzema, Lukaku, Lewandowski, and Holland and Harry Kane. That's five. And most of them are on the older side of 25. Uh, I mean, the only young one is Holland. The rest of them are 20, 26, 27, 28, 30. And, and that's a problem world football has. They're not producing any number nines. Um, and, and, and so that's, that's where he's probably going to go. 
but as for that, I mean, it was for me, it was it was expected. This is how Italy played. Uh, if you followed Mancini, there, there were no surprises. This is exactly how his his Italy side has always played, and 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 this is how they will continue to play. It's great to work with them too, especially in the semifinals and in the final, going through adversity, right, and, and winning in those two penalty shootouts. Um, and my player that I just fell in love with at that tournament, and I always have, of course, been following him. But I mean, Donnarumma, in my opinion, right now, best goalkeeper in the world. He gets his move to PSG. Watch out for that guy because he's just an absolute monster. Um, let's move on now to this dynamic between the Sierra and the Premier League that I wanted to analyze, uh, analyze, um, because of course this is a Chelsea podcast. But I think that. Over the past five years, specifically to the Serie A and the Premier League, have really clashed. Not only just matchup wise in the Champions League, but in the transfer window, managers circulating throughout both leagues. So, especially you see, I mean, it's not Serie A versus Premier League, but in Italy versus England in, in the Wembley final. Talk about: Do you see any dynamic between the Serie A and the Premier League and, and their styles of play? How they kind of have been clashing over these past couple of years, especially with the managers kind of going on a little bit of a carousel through both leagues i mean they're the, the premier league is a high intensity league um the 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 city is a much more tactical league but it doesn't mean that per se one is more attacking and one is more defensive and one can only attack and not defend and vice versa for the other it's 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 different they're both going undergoing uh, the city has undergone a lot of changes and so is the premier league and it's becoming you know they they have different you know it's it's different styles but they have also modernized and and you see that uh, I mean all of you know if you look at the Euros Italy won the Euros yes but more than anything else the Serie A won the Euros the best players in the in the Euros were by a mile Serie A players whether it was Mele Gosens uh, Locatelli uh, you know Donnarumma who's now gone to PSG uh, Lukaku etc 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 the best players were you know an overwhelming share of the best players came from the Serie A because the scouting is much better the Premier League has much more money that no one can compete with and so they don't need to be as good as scouting um, uh, because they can just buy the finished product I mean Chelsea just look at what Chelsea have done just look at what Man City do and Man United etc etc they, they don't need to they don't need to um, to uh to 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 wait and develop players the city has to and then cash in so it is what it is um but the 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 leagues are are different i don't think i think it's you know it comes down to personal preference what you prefer um but there are differences yeah the 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 city is much more tactically and defensively sound but it doesn't make it a defensive league um and 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 the, it's the Premier League is a much more high intensity league and much more open and attacking and overloading, um, which uh, is just you know that's just English football. It's always been like that. It's a good point you make there, and I think to Euros wise and players impressing in, in their respective national teams, um, really a breakout tournament for a bunch of younger players as well, um, like like to Donnarumma, Gosens. Um, bunch of younger players, Dumfries, who's now an answer player, it looks like. Um, but I want to move on back into Lukaku and, and how he fits in Chelsea's system because this is a player who Thomas Trucco has been lining up to try to buy for many months now. It's the one piece in Chelsea's team that is missing, somewhat like Italy. We have 
a full squad of 10 players who are great at what they do, um, except for a number nine. And we've lacked that for the past two or three seasons, ever really since Diego Costa left. I mean, you can talk about um, Tammy Abraham and Olivier Giroud, but a 20-plus goal striker in the Premier League, we just haven't had that in a pretty long time. And Lukaku's the number nine, and Thomas Chukos talked about this recently, and, and we've talked about this extensively in the podcast today, with his back to goal and what he can do and progress and play with his back to goal and putting the dagger in teams because Chelsea have really struggled with dominating possession, which they've done, but they have been able to finish these teams away um, when they have 75% possession, when they have 65% possession. And our finishing has just been terrible the past couple of seasons. We won the Champions League without uh, quote-unquote number nine. Um, so how do you think Lukaku fits into Thomas Tuchel's plans? Because he's a player clearly that Tuchel desired. Um, he went out and got him, and now he's in his squad full of young talent. Um, and he's really the last missing piece of Chelsea's domestic uh, glory return uh, puzzle. I think so. I think he's really, I mean, tactically on paper, he really should fit in perfectly there because he's not just a strong, big player. He's a very fast player. Um, You know, when he goes off on on one of his runs into space, you can't keep up with him. Um, And I think that's the most important thing. He's he's, he's a very complete striker that way. He's very strong in the air. He's very strong. Now he's learned to play with his back against the ball, uh, with the, against the goal and link up, which used to be his weakness. And Conte's taught him that. And he's very good at that now. Um, and, he's fa- and he's fast. He's, his left foot is a hammer. Uh, now, he really doesn't have any weaknesses. I know people like to make fun of his first touch, but I think that's been incredibly overblown out of proportion. Um, I've, I've seen many, I've seen Cristiano Ronaldo have a bad touch. I think any, anyone would anyone saying that he's not good you know, that Ronaldo is a bad bad is is, is a, Ronaldo's technique is or technical ability is bad is would be an idiot because it's not true um I, I think it's been grossly over over blown out of proportion and and I think one thing about Lukaku is he always struggles in the big he's a player who needs a couple of games to get into it um, he needs five, four, three, four games every season in the beginning to get into his stride. Because when he gets that body going, when he gets his energy going, when he gets his flow going, that's when he's unstoppable. And he goes on these runs where he scores two goals a game for ten games. Um, and and for him, I think, and, and I think he wants to win everything in England. I think Chelsea's aim is to dominate domestically and in the Champions League. There's no doubt about that. And I, and if you look at the youth they have. Uh, coach i think they've got a great coach uh, as well tuchel is a kind of coach that will suit him a lot he's in the sense that he'll, he communicates with with uh, with, uh, with with the players really well um i i really do think that um i think i, I really think it's going to be good here i think it's going to go well for him and I, I i actually have chelsea as my favorites to win the premier league to be honest Maybe not. Champ- I think it'll be difficult for them to repeat a win in the Champions League, mm. given what's happened with PSG. But PSG aren't unbeatable. I think Pochettino is a coach that I don't rate that highly at all. Mm. Okay, you've bought a, the best goalkeeper in the world. You've got Messi, Mbappe, Neymar, and it, it looks a little bit like a like a twelve year old took over. Uh, you know, like a twelve year old FIFA save in career mode. Uh, but uh, you have to make it work as well. And I and I and I think they are the favorites, and they will anything other than a. I mean, if, if they make a final, if PSG make make a final, uh, that'll be okay. 
because if you invest this kind of money, you have to win. It's as simple as that. They have to win every single competition they're in. And, and I don't think that, I think that I, I don't, and I know they'll probably win, do everything in, in France, but the Champions League is, is as Allegri always says, it's, it's made up of single moments and you got to be lucky in those single moments. You got to have, yeah, have them go your way, but there's no doubt that they're the favorites. Um, I think Chelsea, City, uh, PSG and Bayern Munich are in a league of their own. And I have uh, Juventus as my dark horse because Max Allegri is a fantastic coach and he's got an absolutely brilliant team. Um, and nobody expects Juve to go far uh, in the Champions League. Nobody expects Juve to win it. Uh, but that midfield, I mean, the, 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 they're a young squad and he's tactically fantastic, Allegri. He knows how to he, know, he knows exactly what to do. He never, he rarely, if ever, gets things wrong tactically. And at Juve, he's he's the boss. He's the, he's the king there, uh, and 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 he's he's coming back. And I think they're they're my dark horse. But Chelsea are absolutely there, being defending champions and having improved massively. There's no doubt that Chelsea are definitely amongst the favorites. But PSG have to be the favorites. I think two wise for Paris Saint Germain, and you've actually seen this without the additions that they've had even these past couple of years, you know, there's just so much expectation in that club and around the team. And when you bring a manager like Pochettino and he doesn't succeed in Liga, he doesn't see in the champions league. I mean, even with the additions of all these world-class players, there has to be questions asked of, of that organization as a club in the champions league. But like you mentioned, it's about performing in those little moments and, and having things going away because you can't win the Champions League without getting lucky along the way. You can no, you, you need that. You need it. You need to have it go your way. It's about the episodes, as they say mm. in Italy. Uh, you need the episodes to go your way. Mm. And, and and to me, when I look at PSG, I look at a team that that's going to hemorrhage goals. Mm. Uh, they don't look defensively stable at all, even though they have Donnarumma, who's fantastic. Yeah. But at, and as Sergio Ramos will give them incredible, you know, uh, experience. Uh, Hakimi will, you know, I mean, they have a fantastic squad, but they just don't have a manager to match it. Um, and I mean, if they were to bring in Antonio Conte, they would be unbeatable. I mean, it's as simple as that. If they had, if they had Antonio Conte there, they would never lose a game because he, he, he would know exactly how to sort this team out and they would, they would just be so solid. They would be so incredibly solid. Um, it would be funny to see how Conte would handle someone like Lionel Messi, um, but it would, uh, you know, in, it would be very interesting. But it would be, um, but I mean, to me, they would be unbeatable with Conte. Do you think that PSG, with the personnel that they have and somewhat of a instability in the back, do you think they'll go with the back three and, and push Akimi forward, or do you think they'll bake with this back four? Well, I mean, they they bought um, Hashraf Hakimi won't accept to sit on the bench, yeah. so I think I think it'll depend on the game. Um, okay. I think it'll be I think they, they want that fluidity. They want to be able to change between a back three and a back four. Mm. Um, I think Pochettino would wants to to do that, uh, and that's why I mentioned Antonio you know, Conte. Be, you know, Antonio Conte would make them unbeatable because Conte's fluidity in going from a back you know back three to a back four. Uh, which he did at Inter all throughout last season, 
you know, when, when they didn't have possession, they played a 3-5-2, they defended in a 3-5-2, and then four, went to a 4-2-4-1 attacking. That's what they want to do at PSG. That And, and, and that's why I said that, that Conte would make them unbeatable. But I think it's going to be much more, it's going to be a very fluid team. Uh, I don't. I I'm, I have my doubts. I don't think Pochettino is able to to pull it off. And I mean, if like you mentioned, even getting to the final and not winning it, that's probably the end of Pochettino's career at PSG. So a guy like Conte coming to PSG next summer could be something realistic and, and something to look out for. Yeah, I mean, if they if they were to fail, they then they're definitely going to bring him. I mean, they're going to mm-hmm. bring someone big in, and and Conte would. I mean, the professionalism this guy offers is. And the football he plays. Um, so, I mean, if I were Arsenal, I'd watch out. You don't want to miss out on Conte. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Conte, of course, Conte would also like to go somewhere where money's not an issue because it's always been the problem for him everywhere he's gone. Um, a guy like Antonio Conte coming into PSG, is it's a scary thought for the rest of the world. It really is. But let's move on to um, Lukaku's off-the-field personality and in-training because there's been a lot of made, especially in how he's... We've talked about this too, Conte's development of the player and and what he's done in training. But he's just such a great guy, too, off the pitch, it seems. And for a Chelsea team who are very young, a guy who, you know, is still in his prime and a leader of this team in the starting 11, they've kind of lacked someone like that uh, up top. So how do you think off-the-field-wise he'll, he'll help the club as well? Because in training, I think it'll be great for the likes of Reese James, Mason Mount, et cetera, et cetera. He'll lead by example, and he's a very nice guy. He's a very humble guy, um, very down-to-earth, friendly, kind, approachable. He, you know, he was basically, I mean, what he did for Sebastiano Esposito was 17 years old last season, not this season, but the season before, when he was the fourth striker and, you know, pushing him and, you know, gave a penalty to him so that he could get his first Serie A goal. Um, he, he's all about the team. He's a total team player. It's all about the team. It's all about the group he leads by example like that um that's what he did at inter it was it was very it was that's why he was so loved and appreciated by everyone he was a complete gentleman and classy all the way through i can't wait to see him with our squad and in, in, in training because i think off the field going into the game too he'll just give us so much more confidence all on the top of what we already have because hmm. even without a guy like lukaku we were going into every game the confidence of this team, especially after Tuchel came in, has just soared off the charts. It's a different mentality. It's different going into a game than it was um, two seasons ago under Lampard. It's just, it's a different, people are scared to play us, play against us now, which just wasn't yeah. the same thing. Tuchel said, I mean, and he's he's delivered. I mean, we've built a team that no one wants to play against, and Lukaku just no. does that. No yeah, one wants to play for against sure. us. For sure. I mean, to, you got to give credit to Marina. I think Marina Granovska has been has been phenomenal. Uh, she's she's worked. She always manages to get it right, and and with the transfers and and the, you know and, and also the, the clubs, you know, selling players. She's very good at selling players as well. It's really it's almost as important, if not as important, if not more important than buying players. It's about selling players. You have to be able to sell players. I mean, getting. 40, 45 million for Tammy Abram, for Tomori, and, and all the, all these players that don't fit Chelsea is 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 good. It's really, really well done. It's, you know, you have to be able to do that. And to do that in a COVID climate, that's difficult. And and she always manages to pull these things off. And that's why they can afford 115 million euros on, on Lukaku. And that's almost what they've done over these past couple of months. And that's been what's more important to them this summer, I think, than most. 
offloading those players and selling those players. And now we've almost repaid that money that we've signed. Exactly. For, um, just through selling players this summer. So I think that's what was, was more important, honestly, for us. To yeah, because we absolutely. I mean, that's what it's about. That's, that's what it's about. And that's why Marina is probably one of the best in mm. the world, to be honest. Mm. So let's close out the podcast right now. This was a great conversation today, Nima. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Before I go, I want you to talk a little bit about what you do over at Simbrantor, how you've kind of built a community over there with different writers now, um, and, and your passion for being a journalist and whatnot in your job. But before we talk um, a little bit about social media and whatnot at the end. Mm. Well, I mean, I started Semprinter in 2012, um, nine years ago. I wanted to be, I wanted, I wanted to build a the biggest English-speaking news site. And it was always news site um, first. I wanted it to be a place where news is reported correctly, honestly, and it's contextualized. The news reporting has to be honest. It had to be transparent where the sources came from and who was saying what and how. And it, and it had to be uh, done in a professional manner, meaning I didn't want people to, I never wanted the news reporting to overgo into op-eds. An op-ed is an op-ed. News reporting is news reporting. You have to separate the two. Um, even though I'm an Inter fan, as, you know, as everyone knows, but professionalism is the most important thing. On honesty and professionalism and transparency. Those are the things that I wanted to do. And, and then, of course, the community thing, you know, that kind of, that I wanted to build that as well, but not, you know, the site and the, and, and the journalism uh, is, was the main thing. And, and then the community part came as a result of that. And I separate between those two. And a lot of people, Inter fans, were upset with us when we reported news that was not nice. But I don't care. Like, for the lack of a better word, I don't care because I'm a journalist. And a journalist's job is to report the truth, the facts, in an honest, transparent, and clear way and contextualize what is going on, even if it goes against you. Otherwise, you know, if, if you don't do that, you're not doing journalism. It's, it's nonsense, uh, regardless of if it's politics, e economics, or sport. Journalism is important, and that's what we want to do. We're Inter fans. We're, we're a new site for Inter fans reporting about Inter. Yes, but we don't bullshit our readers. We tell them the truth, even if they don't like it. You know, the truth doesn't care about your feelings. Well, thank you once again for those words, Nima, and for coming on the podcast today. You can find him as always, on Twitter, at Nima, T-A-V-R-O-O-D. You can find us on Instagram, at Lad for Matthew Harden Podcast. As always, it was a blast today. Great episode with Nima. Make sure to go check out his work on Semper Inter as well. You can find me on Twitter, at Shane Holcomb 13 as always. But until next time, Chelsea fans, up the Chelsea, and God bless.